Oh, what a privilege and joy it is to be in the presence of the Lord and worshiping. Our, our, our desire is to be attracted to, the, to Christ himself. He is worthy. And it's such a joy to be able to remember him in communion and, and celebrate the commandment that he's given us. And so now we're able to turn and remember, uh, to turn to God's word. And we're continuing our journey in Luke chapter 6. And we're going to look at the section from 20, verse 27 to verse 36. But before we start, I wondered if you could just, uh, a, a little bit of audience participation here. I wondered if you could tell me who, who, who said this? Who said, the, where, where's the golden rule come from? Do others as you would have them to do to you. Anybody know where that comes from? Don't look at the verses or anything that we're going to look at today. <laughs> so the Lord Jesus says these words at the Sermon on the Plain and in Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus laid down the golden rule. Now there are other philosophies and so on, and we'll touch on this in a moment that have something similar, but Jesus said these words in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Who said this? Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot, uh, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Anybody know who said that? No? no? It was Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King said these words, and I think they're quite poignant in the context of what we're going to be sharing today. You know, as we turn to the passage, the theme I wanted to, to encourage to you to hold on to in our, in our minds is that God is looking for us, his children, as they are disciples of Jesus, to display his character. So, let's look at the passage together. It's chap Luke chapter 6 and verse 27 to 36. And I'm reading from the ESV Bible. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on, on the other cheek, Offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do, the, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But, but, love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so this, so this section is the continuation of the Sermon on the Plain that 
Craig so helpfully laid out for us last week. And it moves from the blessings and warnings to teaching on the moral, moral character of those who follow him and are to govern themselves by that. This is instruction on the character of the citizens of the kingdom. And the section is really broken into three parts. Verse 27 to 31, 32 to 34, and then verse 35 and 36 are sort of like a summation of all of that. It's interesting that this section begins with the emphatic but. In Greek, it's ala, A-double-L-A. Jesus is calling his audience to listen, and in doing so, he's urging them not only to listen, but to actively respond to it. But I say to those, say to you who hear. Nowhere else do you get this emphatic tone that is presented here. Listen, you know, listen, come on guys, listen. Let's listen to God's word and be ready to respond to it. That's, that's, the, that's the tone of it. He's appealing to us all. So part one is, is verse 27 to 31 where we love our enemies. But the background to this section is really verse 22 of the same chapter. Let's just read that. It says, blessed are you when, the people, when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on, the account, on account of the Son of Man. That's the context. You see, it's primarily focused on religious hatred. In Matthew's Gospel, we read of the Pharisee who was an expert in the law, asking Jesus, what were the two greatest commandments? That's in Matthew 22. Jesus replies to this question with the answer from Deuteronomy, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he says, what's the second commandment? Love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the background to all of this. And these are laws that give instruction to love God first, and then as a consequence or as a result of loving God, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, and, and, and the Lord Jesus here is opening up the character of that love for us as individual, in, to the disciples there who are hearing, but by extension to us. And how that love is to be a proof that God is working in our lives and shaping our character to be like himself. But to give some further context of this particular passage, in Judaism at the time of Jesus, loving your neighbor had a limited and narrow scope. It had become loving those who had the same religious outlook. As one of our previous elders used to say, you know, we live, do we live in a holy huddle? Do we just love those that we get along with? But do we also love someone who's openly hostile to us? So there, and, and, and at that time, there was this vindictive spirit in the, in the Jewish nation. And, and, and we see it at Qumran, for example, and they were taking action and meeting out judgment. But you see, they missed the point at that time because judgment and vengeance belongs to God alone. But a further example of this, this context is, you know, G during Jesus' ministry, in John chapter 4, we, we see him saying to the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman says to him, how is it? You, that is Jesus, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, there's a whole backstory to that, and, and I think it's important that you read it so you can understand why that is 
You know, the Kings is a great book to read through, and you get the context. But I'm challenging myself on this because do, do I love only those who have the same view as me? I'm quite happy to be in my holy huddle. Or am I challenged to follow, to love with the character of God? So continuing the section, the Lord begins his teaching with a general statement to love our enemies, and then he moves to three specific responses. First of all, we're to, to do good to those who hate you. So we often see hatred and enemies going in, together, and in particular, when there's hostility towards God's people. Jesus, in this instruction, is demanding a deep and meaningful response to this hatred. It's not just an intellectual and passive kind of, yeah, of course we love them, but we, we're not going to have anything to do with them, of course. We, just, we love them, that's fine. What he's demanding is actually far more than that. He's demanding an active and demonstrable love. He's looking for action on our part. And remember the setting on this is, is religious hatred. For example, there are some who, and, and let's look at some examples of this, I think. There's some who engage in apologetics. You know, we, we, we have our, our friend John Lennox down in Oxford who actively engages in, a, in, in, in discussions with those who oppose and are openly hate, hate Christians. We, we see, we see you know, some of them in our fellowship. We see Robin out there week after week on the turning, sharing the good news of Jesus in our community. He has, he has my respect, absolutely. You know, we see Sue there having lunch on, her, on the bench on the green, sharing the gospel with anybody who happens to pass by. Amazing conversations that she's shared. Have a chat with Sue. Sue Dawson, that is. But the key point is God is looking for action on our part. It's love towards our enemies that is actionable. And then in verse 28, he also says, bless those who curse you. Jesus says, that the Lord Jesus, as he died, invoked an intercession on behalf of those who hated him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Chapter 23 of this book. However, it doesn't exclude the reality that there is a harsh warning, as we saw last week. There's woe to those who are self-righteous, who are pleased with themselves. God is just, and he's displeased with the activities that debase others. God will take action. So invoking a blessing on those that hate us, what is it? It, it, it's difficult because it depends on us having that confidence in God, in God's care, and that his sovereign direction is over our lives, despite the hurt and the pain that that might be. You know, in loving our enemies and loving those who may curse us, which is a largely a religious activity, because they're calling upon some other God to, to curse us, right? Our responsibility as disciples of Jesus is to firstly seek the benefit that they can enjoy through the gospel. You see, that's why the gospel, sharing the gospel is so vital for us. But also we can make clear that the justice of God is there. And should they refuse to continue to listen to God, His justice will come. We can be certain of that. You know, I, I see great examples where we can do this uh, during our prayer evenings. So, for example, when we had our last prayer evening, over on that side, the, the open doors mat was out, and we saw all the hot spots of persecuted Christians. And we know what number one is, 
It's been number one for a long time. We know what number two is. There's number three bumping up and four and five, and they kind of change. But these are our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. But we can pray for the authorities. So I asked the question, when was the last time that we prayed specifically for Kim Jong-un? When do we pray for him specifically that the glory of Jesus would fill his heart and soul and that his compassion, the compassion Jesus has for his people would fill Kim Jong-un's heart and he would transform that country filled with the gospel. This morning on the prayer meeting, you know, our, our friend who is in Africa, in that particular country where she is, and I'm saying it this way because we're recording live, there's a lot of violence and persecution and there were protests yesterday. And it's quite dangerous. But I find it fascinating that week on week, she's praying for those leaders that she works with to release those children for the gospel. She does it. When was the last time we prayed specifically for Boris Johnson? that this, so the gospel would fill his heart and transform his life. I can't say what he believes, but I pray that his government would be transformed by the glory of the gospel. So these are some practical examples of how we can pray for those who curse us. You know, it's interesting. One of my colleagues, he, uh, he, he very specifically asked that uh, we pray for one of the leaders in the business that we work in because that particular leader is quite hostile, hostile to faith networks. So we're praying for him specifically by name that Jesus would fill his heart. And so we pray for those who abuse you, verse 28. And this is kind of love is extremely tough because it requires us to suppress our natural instincts to fight back and defend ourselves and to such a great deal, and so it's, it's a sublimation. We, we suppress our, our natural desire to fight back. It's not normal. It's just a supernatural love. These are tough, tough words. It's the raw power of love that's the imitation of God. And this can only be expressed as we depend on God himself. We cannot do this naturally. And as Daniel Box says, or Daryl Box says, this is how the disciple is to relate to all humanity. You know, we've seen this as in examples of those who've escaped from evil regimes. Again, our Open Doors friends share with us often that those who've escaped from evil regimes pray for those regimes. We see it in the way our fellow brothers and sisters remain faithful in regions recently overwhelmed by governments that are totally opposed to Christian faith, despite the persecution. You know, we see it historically in people like Cory Ten Boom. You know, she was able to forgive her concentration guards, concentration camp guards. If you ever get the chance to watch that video, watch it. Have a look on, that's a powerful moment when she meets that concentration camp guard and forgives them. But those, this religious hatred isn't just from those who are of a different religion. There are those of no religion. And sometimes even within the Christian faith. It's important that those who are pursuing ideologies that are against God, um, I, 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 would, I would argue that is a religion. This type of hatred is seen in many countries around the world, and as I said, Open Doors are helpfully making us aware of that. But friends, it's increasingly present 
in the West and in the UK. Our fellow brothers and sisters are being forced out of work because they stand for Jesus. You see, responding to the gospel is the most important and amazing decision you can ever make in your entire life. It's the one decision that ensures your eternal future with Christ. You will be in the presence of God eternally in full freedom and blessing. That worship that we enjoyed this morning, that will be our portion for eternity. And by making that choice, by following the gospel, by sharing the gospel, we're telling the world that we will follow him and we will hold that the word of God is true and this Bible that we hold in our hands is God's word and it is truth. But we've entered this dangerous phase in the world's history, in the West, where there is ideology that is contrary to God actively being embraced. And as a result, there's breakdown of families, marriage relationships, family values, trust, and, and even the reality of physical identity. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me as I share these coming words. Church, there may be a time when we are hated because we follow Jesus. We might be hated because we believe that God created humanity and that God created men and women. Men and women distinct and yet equal. We might be hated because we believe that the biblical model for marriage is between one man and one woman. And the only place for sex is between one man and one woman in that marriage relationship. That's what we believe. It's in our statement of faith. We might be hated for that, friends. We might get a knock on the door. We might be hated because we believe that biology matters. Biology matters. God created you a man or a woman. Biology matters. We might be hated because we believe that the nuclear family is the best place for children to be loved, nurtured, cared for, and taught. Now, having said all of that, let me just reemphasize this. What the Lord Jesus is teaching us here is the character in and by which we respond to that is absolutely vital. Jesus is instructing us, love, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those that curse you and pray for those who abuse you. How we respond to the world that's around us is absolutely vital. But standing on the truth of God's word is absolutely vital as well. We are to love those that hate us because we're followers of Jesus. This is an active love, and it's more than intellectual acknowledgement of love. We do something about it. You know, I, I pray, you know, we've talked about ideology, and I'm not going to go into the detail. But I pray for those who are, who are promoting things that are contrary to what we find in Scripture. I pray for them by name. I would love to see those individuals become trophies of God's grace because they found the Savior. We do good to those who hate us by loving them, using the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives because we must have wisdom. 
Proverbs 25 teaches us this. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. If you, and by doing that, you will heat coals, burning coals on his head. Now, what does that mean? I, I think what that means is, you know, if your enemy is there and, and he's thirsty, <laughs> you, you, he's been in a heavy debate, an argument perhaps, he, he's pretty thirsty, or he needs a sandwich, let's have a sandwich together. Do you need some water? See, by doing that, it might challenge the conscience of, conscience of that individual because we're showing the character of God's love to that person. We must pray for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with all those we come across. And what's on my heart is that we pray for and share it with those who are caught up in these ideologies, in particular in the West at this moment in time. Importantly, we must show compassion on all those who are opposed to the gospel. For example, we can pray for those who are actively seeking to undermine the authority of the Bible. Now, I'm praying for God's wisdom on this as well. Again, this section is primarily religious, but I, I just want to pause for a moment and share something else. You know, some of you might find this language quite challenging. Pray for those who abuse you. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. This, Jesus is using this language to illustrate the radical nature of God's love. But it's a, extremely challenging, and maybe some of these words are triggering for you. It might fill you when we come on a moment to turning the other cheek. It might fill you with fear, anxiety, or rage, or dread, because you have suffered, or maybe you're still suffering. We can be sure that God is a God of justice, and He will not let sin go unpunished. And as a practical and immediate application, there is absolutely, and let me make this clear, there is absolutely no place, none at all, for anyone to abuse another person, whatever that might look like. While vengeance and judgment belong to God, what I would say is this. If there's anyone here or anyone you know who's experiencing abuse or violence, whether that be emotional, physical, sexual, or racial, yeah, it will be. There will be people. Let me repeat that. If there's anyone that you know of, or whether you're experiencing emotional or physical or sexual or racial abuse, this is something that is abhorrent to God and there is full justification in you asking for help. Whether that's Craig here as your pastor, whether it's us as elders, whether it's the elders' wives, whether it's the pastoral care team, whether it's the wider ministry team leaders, or your home group leaders, the welcome and counseling service, the medical teams around us, the police or other support networks, please do not let that carry on. Reach out. Ask for help. Let me repeat that. There is absolutely no place, none at all, for anyone to abuse another person. So friends, 
whilst I praise God for organizations that are specifically providing support for women in particular, who can call, they can call when they're walking at home alone at night for their safety because they have to put up with sexist remarks or inappropriate conversation or physical contact that's not welcome. I'm heartbroken about this, that our daughters, our sisters, our wives have to reason to fear in the first place. So I challenge you, men of the church, men of the church, we must rise up and be men of God. Be disciples of Jesus. And I, see, I do see examples of this here in our place now, and I praise God for it, the way that our men care for their sisters, their wives, their daughters. But we must examine our hearts first and ensure our motives and our actions are right and true and then we must rise up and be champions for our sisters, our daughters, our wives. We must ensure that their dignity, their safety, and their peace of mind is that we're part of that story. We must, men, take responsibility. We must listen and act on the words of Jesus. And I know this is sound, it must be coming across as a tough message, but guys, we've got to do the right thing. And I know we do the right thing, but we've got to do the right thing. We must love, now this is the challenging bit, we must love those perpetrators, we must love them enough to share the gospel with them and put in front of them that Jesus can forgive them, but only if they put their faith and trust in him. Jesus can transform their lives, but only if they put their faith and trust in him. Jesus is the only one who can transform lives through repentance and faith in him. And at the same time, bring the reality that the, the justice of God is there and, is, and before them. We have to bring it before them because if they refuse to listen to them, the justice of God will come. Having said all of that, I must take to my own heart. I must seek to be ready to share the gospel whenever he asks me and wherever he asks me to. You know, as an example of this, I know a friend who has been walking with, a, 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 with, a, with, another, walking with someone for a long time, and that person has ended up back in prison. And that person visits them faithfully, disciples them, and continues to walk with them on their journey. You know, Jesus is offering free salvation, but unless someone tells them, how will they know? And as we'll see next week, before we can do that, we must examine our own hearts, friends. And I know I've been challenging us as men, but it's a challenge to all of us. We have to examine our hearts, friends. Neil's going to bring before us, if we're left here, that you know, before we point out that, that, that there's a, a, a bit of a splinter in someone's, others, uh, someone else's eye, we need to check and see if there's a beam in our own eye. We need to examine our own hearts. We must repent of what's in our own hearts. We must be soft before the Lord Jesus. We must be on our knees before him to, to, to acknowledge who and what we are and that we are weak without his power. And he gives us his power by the Holy Spirit to do the right thing, to, to be like him, to, to demonstrate the character of God. But let, but let me say this. In everything that I've said, and there's some hard things in here, 
And I, I'm sure I'll be criticized for lots of things. And please, 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 let me say this. If there is anything in these last few moments that's raised concerns, exposed hurt, created anxiety, or raised questions, please reach out to us. Talk to us. We want to work with you. We want to share with you. We want to pray with you. We want to walk alongside you. But again, above all, we must think about how, how we respond to all of this. Whether that's social issues that are facing all of us, or whether that's someone's done something to us, it's the how. And it's the character of God's love that's to permeate our lives. So, as we continue this section, there's a reminder of the, again, reminder, it's religious context, religious persecution. So here's four examples how Jesus' love is expressed. Turn the other cheek and give the shirt along with the coat. So as the gospel message is shared with all men, as we've seen already, there are enemies who will reject the message and despise the messengers. We see in Acts how Peter, John, Paul, and others suffered constant rejection in the synagogues, and they were told to remain silent, and they suffered. They were beaten, stoned. You know, Acts 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 12, 14, 16, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 23 of Acts. These guys are facing pretty tough persecution. Have a read through the Acts, and you'll see it. But it's the character of God's love and, and the refusal to stop sharing the message, the good news of Jesus, that characterizes these men. So the gospel is countercultural. It will be mocked. It will be insulted. It will receive abuse. Many other brothers and sisters are suffering deeply in places around the world, but we're suffering here too. Men and women are uh, trying to silence the gospel, but it will not be silenced because God will have his way. The ability to provide pastoral care is being threatened. You know, we need to pray into these things. But it's to be expected. So turning the other cheek, however, does not override God's, uh, the, the authorities that God has put in place. You know, the, the, the governments are there to protect us. The police services, the medical services, the military services, all of these things are of God's ordering. I'm not commenting about the people within those institutions and organizations. But in principle, there are provisions by God to keep us safe in the courts and so on. And what Jesus is speaking about is our individual response to persecution. We're to be generous and compassionate in our response rather than retaliating. The ministry of the gospel must continue. You know, talk to Ian and Linda. They'll tell you all about what it means to share the gospel day in, day out, and despite people not wanting to hear it. We're to give up our resources to the promotion of the gospel despite ostracism or the potential of being taken advantage of. But the point is that we keep going without seeking revenge or retribution. Verse 30 says, give to the beggar and do not demand back what's taken. You see, the Lord Jesus is challenging us further. He's, only, he's not only expecting our disciples to be generous of heart and means by which we include our general giving in that, <clears throat> but there's to be a readiness to meet needs without any prejudice. Where we see a need, we go and we fill it. We saw so many examples of this, of churches just reaching out to their communities. Grenfell Tower, when that, that horrendous 
awful situation. It was churches there on the ground providing help for people, whoever they were. And so then we come to this golden rule. So there's the challenge, if we remember. And there's Jesus' words. As we've seen earlier, the second command is for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So the statement is simple, right? Treat yourselves as you would expect to be treated. Pretty straightforward. Challenging to work out. And while there's sentiment in other religions and philosophies, what's unique about what Jesus teaches here is not only is, is the unconditional character of love that's just behind that. And so we get this radical love, don't we? We see over the coming weeks and months as we study Jesus' ministry, we'll see that he's teaching us as disciples we're to have radical and extravagant love for our fellow men. And this next section is teaching us to be different than what those are around us. So if we only love those who love us, what good is that? You know, there's, there's so many examples of families that are deeply love each other, and yet they don't have faith. What Jesus is saying, that we should not only have this quality of love for each other, but go beyond that. We're to love those out, outside our immediate circle without any agenda or expectation of reward. We're to love for love's sake. I, I do see this with so many of you, as you know, some examples earlier. And our friends in Bedford, <laughs> the amount of food that must go through their house for their neighbors, my goodness. And we've been blessed by it as well. I'm going to you know, they're, they're a blessing to, to anyone they come in contact with. And it's good food as well. But we're to good, do good to those, you know, if, if we only do good to those who are good to us, what good is that? Good, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But again, Jesus is asking to show a character that goes beyond that. That you know, we do good to those that, you know what, we'll probably never get anything back. But that's okay. Again, you know, our friend in Africa who's you know, sharing with those leaders to, uh, to um, bring those children into the gospel realm. That's amazing. But God is giving everything for us in, in giving his beloved son. You know, so we, 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 um, we love our enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. You know, this is, this is the, the example that we have. So the final practical extraction from the Lord is how we give. If we give with an expectation of return, of course, less, you know, unless it's a business arrangement, it challenges our motive. However, if we're to give without expectation of return, it, it exemplifies the giving of God. There's no preconditions with God's giving. You know, his, his mercy that we read of in this, these passages. You know, the crops grow for the good and the evil. He provides food for all men. You see, this is the character of God's giving. And, and as we read today, there's some tough and challenging messages for us all. But overall, it's intended to demonstrate the depth and the reality of the transformation that God makes in our hearts. Why is it so important? It's so important because we're learning of what the character of God is. A character that permeates the kingdom. The Lord Jesus summarizes in a teaching that because we're disciples of Jesus, we're not only to listen, but we're to take action. God fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can demonstrate that love and character. Why should we demonstrate the love and character of God? Because God has given everything for us, friends. He's given everything for us. In that majestic treatise of Paul's in Roman, Romans for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Have you been overwhelmed by the extravagant love of God demonstrated in His his giving of His Son to die for us? Have you been filled by the glory of Jesus? And will you accept that His dying on the cross for you was the place that you should have been in, I should have been in? I've come to the foot of that cross. I've found Him as my Savior. He stepped into my place. He was my substitute. And we have the opportunity to bow our knees to Him and own Him as the Lord of our lives. Will you give your all for Him? You know, is anyone worthy? As Andrew Peterson's song, is anyone worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing, honor, and glory? Is He worthy of this? Yes, He is. He is worthy of our praise. And we have a merciful God. So in closing, we believe that the Lord Jesus, as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God expects us to respond He gives resources to display His character through the actions we take. And as we're obedient to the instructions of the Lord Jesus, His character is displayed. God is glorified as we love our enemies. God is glorified as we're faithful in sharing the good news of Jesus through the gospel. And praise God that He's given His Holy Spirit to us so that we can have that power to share the gospel, to share the Christ with our fellow men. And as Paul says in Ephesians 3, now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.